This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. This story, uh, which came uh, across all of our collective radars last night, our executive producer Jason Chapman uh, saw the video on APTN News, um, which advances the stories that are important to our Aboriginal population. And it's it's a it looks like a textbook case of police brutality to me. I can't hear anything on the video, but I can see things on the video. And though there right now are two internal reviews based on the video uh, per the uh, Ontario Provincial Police, the video clearly shows a man being punched who's of Métis origin, who's got some disabilities of an intellectual nature. And whatever's being said, however, the police officer could even claim if this is indeed the claim that he was being provoked. It's too much. It's over the line. Like, I don't know exactly what the line is, but I know this is over it. I think that makes sense when I say it back to myself. I don't know the exact line and your line might not be mine. But if you have a line, if you watch this video and your line is he's on the safe side of it, you and I have very different perspectives about what law enforcement should be. There is cell block video that's been obtained by APTN News that I watched last night a couple different times. More clips this morning. Um, The man named Ronnie Taylor is being repeatedly punched in the head. Now, I'm not going to tell you that uh, Taylor is is not without um, his own sense of of provocation in this situation. But that's not me justifying it. I'm not going to. I know there'd be people out there that would only look at the cop. They would only look at the behavior. And that needs to be judged in its own individual context. But something went off here and the the officer responded. He was aggressive from the get go. But this wasn't just any sort of random attack of a, of a prisoner, of somebody that they had taken in. That's my perspective watching it. You don't have to have exactly the same perspective. That's why we're here. And that's why conversation and debate are good things. But this person shouldn't be a police officer anymore based on the video that I have seen. Now, I've already heard from people this morning saying um, the, the pressure he's under, the strain he's under. I got you. But it's an assault. And if it's not an assault, it's it's worse. It's battery. And this is Constable Scott Anthony of the OPP. It's a police brutality case. I don't think he tried to kill this prisoner. I don't think that. But this prisoner could have been killed is another way I can put it based on the circumstances. Here's audio of Ronnie Taylor, who who has recovered from the beating that he took. But because and there are charges pending. There's a long rap sheet. Like if if we're checking a box, um, good person, bad person, like I got to go bad. If this person is not a threat to society, threat to society, I'm going threat. So that again, if if that rankles your uh, moral fiber, I'm sorry. This probably is a person that that is not going to do the right thing more often than not. Some of it is based on. His intellectual disability, which he's documented, his mom's documented, and his lawyer has documented. Here's Taylor explaining what went down in the cell. I just remember him saying, turn around, and he shoved me, and I put my hands up because I thought he was going to punch me in the face. I remember uh, getting a twitch in my neck, and then everything went black in my eyes, and I couldn't see a thing. And then I 
don't really remember much. I got up and it was almost like I didn't know what went on. By the way, why is he in custody? Because he allegedly beat up his wife. It turns my stomach the same way it turns yours. I don't know that he would have been convicted of the crime. I'm telling you what they brought him in for. He gets arrested. There's confrontation with the officer. Then there's the seizure. But there is no question in my mind, Anthony's crossing the line. Does he need to face criminal charges? Does he need to be fired? We could go a lot of different directions with it. Either way, it isn't a good look. And I always say this. If I'm a good cop, if I do everything right, if I check all the boxes, if I go to sleep at night knowing I've done the best job I can as a man or woman to enforce the law and defend people who can't defend themselves, I don't want to work with people like this. I don't. I don't want to work with people like this. One more from Taylor. He said this has had obviously a massive impact on his life. I bet it has. I don't leave. I don't like grocery shopping anymore because... I'm afraid to go out into the public eye with police being around because I'm afraid that something bad's going to happen to me. I have bad dreams that they're going to break in my door and come and arrest me while I'm sleeping. Okay, he gets to say that, right? You put a microphone in front of his face, he gets to say what he wants to say. Here's how the cop's notes describe this particular scenario. And we're talking about an assault that happened last summer in June up in Bracebridge, okay, cottage country. Anthony's notes, the cop's notes, stopped going into cell, meaning the prisoner, who you just heard from, pushed towards cell, squared off, that didn't happen, struck in mouth, meaning the cop, that certainly didn't happen, exchanged empty hand blows until in cell. No, he was getting fed fist sandwiches, the prisoner was, um, for quite a long period of time. And there were two cops there also, just in case it went the other way and the prisoner happened to get the advantage. Um, again, the two things can be true at once. This could be a bad dude who did some bad things earlier that night and needed to be brought into line so that he could be arrested, fingerprinted, all the like. But there is a clear line crossing to me by the cop himself. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Yeah, As you know, we talked about the grocery um, handout, the bonus that people would get uh, with it landing in their account. Yesterday morning, if you filed your 2021 taxes and yesterday in Toronto, um, because she's a local MP and she doesn't have to be in Ottawa right now, the deputy prime minister and finance minister, Christian Freeland, did a uh, appearance at a at a grocery store and she was kind of wandering around. She had one of those hand baskets um, and was picking up some groceries. She the shot of Christian Freeland with the um, hand basket Shows only her purse, which is a big purse, and some bananas. She's got a lot of tax dollars in there. I'm kidding. And she's got some bananas. <laughs> she has some bananas, very green bananas. So she's she's in the banana game for the long haul. I Sometimes I buy bananas, and I'm like, I'm going to eat these suckers within the next day and a half. Freeland is more a planner. These bananas should be ripe in the Freeland household around, like, Monday. So maybe, maybe she's already Tuesday. got a batch at home. Who maybe knows? so. But what caught you the most about this picture of her at the grocery store? <laughs> the high heels I, I had a feeling well so she's on. wearing a black it's a shift dress it's got you know it's got short sleeves she's got a set of pearls on she's got a nice belt around the black she's got some bracelets on her hair is done very nice just she's delightful very professional and she's wearing black high heels okay and she's at the grocery store and so what is your concern with the high heels uh, at what point how many people if you stood and did a survey of women 
let's just reserve it to women for today so I don't get a headache. How many women would come in your gro- your local grocery store in heels over the span of a uh, four-hour period? Two? Maybe so. But if you were to go to a grocery store, let's say between <laughs> 5 and 6 p.m., I think majority of women would be in They'd be coming home from work. They'd have to stop off at the grocery store to pick something up, whatever it was. Uh, it's more likely. But here's the thing. Olivia Chow's not going to shop for groceries and heels. No, but that's her brand. So Christy Freeland can't show up in cut-off jean shorts and sneakers or flip-flops at the what? grocery store for this photo op. She can. No. She's with two other I'm, no. I'm looking the misogyny at her with two that other would women. Come with that? No. Absolutely not. She has to uh, you have to dress the part. Dress for the job you want. Who's the woman? What prime minister is going to be in cut-off jeans and <laughs> sneakers? I'm not asking for Justin Trudeau to look like he was just bailing hay for most of the of, of the afternoon. Well, we've seen him in very short cut-off jean shorts. There Have we pictures, really? Oh, there are pictures of him like, yes, back, you know, in his Vancouver days or his BC days. Oh, goodness. And in the boxing ring. I know. There's so much, like, the internet just lives forever. She's next to a, a lovely um, woman with gray hair and a gray, sorry, a red, black, and white top and a black skirt who's wearing heels no who's they're wearing they're, open-toed sandals why not those they're palazzo pants and it's not a skirt who is that by the way because I, I, I don't know i'm not trying to jam oh, you I don't, I don't know, know who either. that is no i don't know i think it's someone it's one of her uh what? people one of her staff okay because she was standing kind of beside her during maybe it's someone really it's, it's at a rabba grocery store yeah yes it's at a rabba she can't she has to wear she doesn't have to wear the heels no, no she does she does she, I, I disagree with you there. The the amount, the double standard there is for what women wear, what men wear. No, uh, sp- specific women, because you mentioned brand. I just mentioned Olivia Chow. I'll go you one further. Melissa Lansman's not wandering through the grocery no, store these are in, examples, in but high this is heels. Not their Brett. What have you not? What have you seen particularly <sighs> out out of high heels? She, and she's going to get attacked no matter what. She knows this, so she has to dress the part. I don't know. Okay. All right. I mean, I'm I'm willing to get talked into it. I can I can I can get behind anything. But here's the thing: as she's standing there, there's this podium at the Rabba grocery store, and all of the pricing has been taken. Yeah. Off how about of that? The, of the grocery, the produce that's behind her. There's you see cantaloupe, metal, melon, watermelon. Uh, there's lemons, limes. All of its the pricing is all gone. How about some blueberries just over her left shoulder yes. as she as she grins madly stuff. about being able to give a senior. A hungry senior, $250 to get through the summer to help with their food costs. So as she's discussing the grocery rebate, which many Canadians are eligible for, uh, there's no pricing on the grocery behind her. <laughs> the irony of it. I know. Strawberries over her right shoulder, blueberries over her left. Because, I, because I, I wouldn't have thought of that. I think that's brilliant to think of. And yet almost like manipulative and, and <laughs> maniacally concerned about public perception, which sometimes... She is, and the well, that's federal how she's liberals wearing heels are. in a grocery store in the middle of the afternoon. It seems yes, but that's what makes them not real or relatable. Well, that's well, they're not relatable. But, the, the, but we, this is not. We, they are not relatable. Justin Trudeau is not relatable. She is not relatable. But uh, this is not a surprise. But I'm telling you, she cannot wear what you're suggesting. I think she would get annihilated. She wouldn't be taken as seriously. Come on, think about the women that you know. Let's not say our workplace. What in about general. a juicy suit? Do they still have those? Like what J-Lo used to wear? You're so old. Juicy suit. <laughs> With the juicy on the butt. Yeah. No, I don't want I don't want her to wear like shorts. I, I mean, the uh, some of my son's girl friends just wander around looking at they're wearing like pajama shorts with like pink. That's what the, the pink kids letters do, on the back. And I'm like, you're in public. No, the kids wear pajamas. I know. Out now. And they wear sweatsuits, the university, like doctorate classes. I can't figure this out. We never did that. But anyway.
See the judgment now. Now imagine Christy Freeland wore that at the grocery store. You, you, we'd be having a completely different conversation. When were juicy suits popular? I just Googled. Uh, the now iconic juicy track suits were first released in 2001 and quickly became a Y2K phenomenon. Okay, you're kind of right about the timeline there. The juicy track suit was a pivotal moment in fashion history, breaking every rule that had ever been written, condemning sweats as acceptable outdoor attire. You're right. Women started to wear sweats a lot more. At the turn of the century. Yes. They weren't wandering around. And in look how much it irks men. Apparently. It doesn't bother me. Oh, right. The heels are about the heels. The practicality of the heels being in the frozen food section where where, by the way, like there's leaks once in a while. They basically come in there with a hose and like like <laughs> schmitz the uh, the lettuce and the and the watercrest and all that stuff. And the, that that's the fresh center. Schmitz. They're not like they're not spraying stuff down the coffee aisle or the breakfast cereal aisle. They've got to like like schmutz up and wet up all the uh, have you ever the... shopped at a Raba? <laughs> yes that's why the pricing's not there Raba's a very elite grocery mm. store it's up there with whole foods oh sort how do you rank the grocery stores in terms of eliteness where's sobeys compared to Raba? price oh what's affordable and what isn't and i know cra- it's not food basics but no it's not there's a big difference what I know this because I lived downtown for a decade right on bay and the only grocery store at that time in the vicinity was a Raba. And you'd have to sort of take a deep breath because you don't have a car if you're the most majority of people living downtown. So you can't drive to like, you know, a a Loblaws or whatever else. And it it was just an arm and a leg to get anything fresh. What's Okay, compare Longos and Raba. Oh, Raba. Through the roof. Raba's more expensive than Longos? Way more expensive. Longos feels like you're in a special place. It is. It it does feel that way, but no, Raba is much more expensive. Um, I just remember there was Loblaws. So she's dressing for the grocery store. See? She knows where she is. She... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Could she wear those in food basics or is she rolling in in, uh, in like, again, sweats and sandals? No, she needs the juicy sweatsuit for the food basics. All right. I'm Relatable. Just, I'm learning. Or not. I'm learning. She didn't have a big binder with the bud, uh, the budget also. She could have brought that <laughs> to, to block out the prices of the blueberries and the raspberries exactly. behind her. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 40 Toronto. One of the great ideas uh, of last year's municipal election was the idea of a bridge from basically the mainland right around where we are here at uh, Chorus Key or Queens Key to go uh, to Toronto Island. The only way to go there right now, if you're going to Centerville or you're going across to one of the couple restaurants, the only way is the ferry. There's some water taxis, obviously, but the idea of a bridge um, was brought up by a, uh, a candidate in Ward 10, Spadina, Fort York. She finished second, but I'm not sure I saw a better idea or a more discussed idea, and it's getting more traction now because, yes, the weather's hot and the lines are long for the ferry. There was a three-and-a-half-hour wait for people coming back from Toronto Island, I think the Saturday of uh, the long weekend. It might have been the Sunday, but it was one of the two days. April Engelberg had that idea originally, and she's kind enough to join us now on Toronto Today. It's great to have you back on. I hope everything's going great, and, and thanks for making the time. Good morning, Greg. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. You know, and, and by the way, I remember saying at the time, even after we spoke to you a couple of times in the fall, that your ward especially, with Usma uh, in there, Rocco Achimpong, yourself, I felt like that was the one war that jumped out at me, and I thought, I wish there was a lot more than one counselor coming from that area. Um, so I, I hope you'll, I you're probably happy, but I hope you'll consider running again because I, I think we need ideas like this and people like this. I knew how vigorously you campaigned as well last fall. Um, we need people like you to make decisions in this damn city. Thank you so much for saying that. I really appreciate it. Let's talk about the idea of of the bridge. When you brought it up last fall, were you even respond? Were you, were you surprised by people saying? 
how has it not happened yet? And yeah, let's consider some of the, the, the schematics of it and the pros and cons of it. I was really thrilled with people's reaction. And I think, like you said, people are still craving this bridge. We, the status quo is just not good enough. Right now, so much attention is on Ontario Place. You saw this past yeah. mayoral election. So much attention is keep Ontario Place public. But the islands aren't free to access. And they're a massive public park, right? It, it costs us money to get there by ferry. And not only does it cost us money, it's, the status quo is not working. It takes a long time to get there. They, this ferries just can't meet demand. The idea is we should be able to access the island like it's our own backyard, like it's our own central park all the time. And the bridge, like you said, the location is, you're right, near your, near your office, connecting the Portlands towards island, and it's only 250 meters. So I think it's the logical next step for us. Even last fall, we were pretty removed from from COVID um, when you're running COVID restrictions, I'd say anyway, even though it'd been like four or five months since, you know, they, they uh, allowed us to go to a grocery store without a mask or kids sports were back on and, and activities were back on full on. But you made the point when you ran that uh, uh, like an overwhelming number of people in your ward um, don't have a backyard and being able to get downtown, which you could with ease with a bike um, from from your ward, you'd be able to get across there maybe in 15, 20 minutes. Like like not everybody has a backyard and has that space. Exactly. So I calculated that about 94 percent of this ward does not have a backyard. And yes, it would take about 15 minutes to bike there from the existing ferry. But something that I'd also like to highlight is all the infrastructure to get to the proposed bridge location is either in place or in the progress of coming in place. So for example, we all love the new Cherry Street beautiful bridges that are going in that area. There is now going to be a bike lane that will take us all the way to the proposed bridge location. And Cherry Street is also being realigned. So the streetcar will take us there. And we have the Ontario line where we're going to have Corktown Station also a short bike right away. And soon we'll be having the waterfront East LRT. So I really think the bridge is just the logical next step, especially with the Portlands getting redeveloped. Is it something would you if, if Olivia Chow called you and said, hey, this was your idea. Would you sit down and have a conversation with me about it? Would you be amenable to that? Definitely. I'm not partisan, so I'm happy to work with anyone to get this done for sure. April Engelberg is our guest on Toronto Today on 640 Toronto. I also would estimate that, like you said, it's just this massive expanse of um, of a bunch of different islands as well. And they all serve different purposes. Hanlon's Point um, is different than where the sailing club is, which is different than the big park, which is different than than Center Island, where you could you could rent bikes once you got over. But I bring all that up to note. I think we go through windows of time where um, you're going more often when when Centerville was there. Well, it is there when our kids were a lot younger, we would take them. But April, I haven't probably been across to the island in like six, seven years. And I would wager the vast majority of Torontonians either don't know it exists, think it's too difficult to get there. And to your point, it's not just money, it's time. Exactly. And that's that's. Silly, right? You're you're saying how close your office is to the island. Like mm-hmm. you can probably see it, but you haven't been because it's such a pain to get to. It's, it's such a journey to get there, and it really shouldn't be. It should be like your backyard. You should literally be able to go there on your lunch break for fun. You also in the fall um, came up with a figure around 
and there'd be yearly maintenance, but it'd be a fraction of the initial cost. What at most, maybe a fifteen million dollar infrastructure project, and and you know and I know, um, that's that's sort of falling out of, of the back pocket money for the city when it comes to some infrastructure pro- projects that take longer, that are more complicated, that wouldn't give as many people as much usage. Exactly. So I'm not an engineer, and we obviously haven't done a request for proposals, but so I don't know the exact cost. But what I could say is, yes, it would be a fraction of the Ontario Police redevelopment. It would be a fraction of what was initially budgeted for Rail Deck Park, that being the park that was supposed to cover the rail tracks all the way from Bathurst to Blue Jays Way, which is not going to happen the way we initially envisioned it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's definitely a worthwhile investment to make the best use of this massive public park that we already have. April Engelberg's our guest. I mentioned Olivia Chow. Um, you watched uh, probably with a keen observational eye the last six weeks of the mayoral campaign. Um, what did you think of all the all the parameters of it, the t- the, the important topics, the plot twists? It, it just was a very different mayoral campaign. I know you were so in, entrenched in your own um, campaign in the fall. But we talked with with a lot more urgency about issues in the city, I think, than than we did in in October. Yeah, I'm happy that we had the election. I'm happy that a lot got to be debated. I was actually working on Mitzi Hunter's campaign, and it was a great Mm. experience. Um, Again, what I found really interesting was how much attention was on Ontario Place. You know, keep Ontario Place public, keep Ontario Place public, and I was thinking, what about the islands, which we already have, which even though they're a public park, are free to access. That's I, I, I found it. I, I found it interesting that that wasn't being discussed. Yeah, I I, th- I thought two things about that. One, yeah, I also thought, what about the islands? And, and that was maybe a, a 50-50 split between where was the urgency for Ontario Place before this? We weren't banging desks, um, certainly not in the previous four years of the Ford government or the previous 15 years of liberal governments um, banging on desks going, we must do something about this. I'm hearing it described as this treasured jewel. And I'm like, well, we sure didn't treat it like that for the better part of a decade. Exactly. And so it's such a big issue now. And rightfully so. I believe in keeping it public. But at the same time, let's focus on let's focus on the island, too. And let's make it a lot better. I hear that loud and clear. April, thanks for spending some time with us on this. I'd, I'd love to keep talking as uh, as as maybe just maybe we get this in front of some uh, some some important eyeballs at, at City Hall. But thanks for your uh, your passionate advocacy on this. I think it's an important issue. I also think we'd all benefit from it. So I want to see it just like you do. Thanks for making the time. Thanks so much, Greg. Have a great day. You bet. April Engelberg joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Ed Keenan is our friend and uh, columnist, city columnist for the Toronto Star, and he's kind enough to join us now. It's great to have you on. What's up with you? Good morning, Greg. Uh, well, you know, the, the usual, I'm getting up, getting ready for work uh, and, and preparing for a vacation for the next two weeks. So Solid. I'm trying to keep my head in the city for, <laughs> for another couple days. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I'm, I'm actually happy. Uh, and I think even people that express some doubt about Olivia Chow um, put ideology aside and applauded her yesterday, documenting the the lack of funding from the federal government. This is obviously always a contentious issue. What is Toronto's mayor, whether it's been John Tory, Rob Ford, David Miller, what are they doing to make sure the city is properly funded to cover what I would call unusual and extraneous expenses vis-a-vis the provincial and federal government? I, I, I think Chow got right out there 
isn't even the mayor yet, even isn't sworn in and says the federal government needs to step up to the table. Yeah, especially on on, you know, and that's the case across the board, but especially on this issue of uh, refugees as it relates to our housing crisis and our and our homeless shelter crisis, uh, because there's there's a direct connection here where uh, Toronto is asked to take in way, way, way more migrants than any other country in the world. Uh, pe- people that I think most Torontonians uh, are glad that we accept into the country seeking refuge from places in the world where they, where they have none. Um, but, but, you know, they think we should take them in. They're proud that we take them in. But we, we can't just uh, bring them here with, with no idea where to put them and no dollars to put them anywhere. Our, our homeless shelters are already overflowing. We don't have uh, any kind of stable transitional housing to put people into. And now we are taking refugees into the country who are coming here, you know, desperate from other places in the world. And many of them are winding up sleeping on the streets because, you know, we, we accept the people and we don't get any do- or enough dollars to go with them to provide them any place to live. Well, and I think cities end up playing at a major role in integrating immigrants, whether they like it or not. And I think for the most part, those those integrations are meant to be positive, not negative. But they get no say in admitting them. They get no say in how many they get no say in, in the where or when. Like like if someone said to us to a, a city mayor anywhere, right, even in the states, New York, Washington, Boston, what's your immigration policy? Well, they don't have one because it's all controlled by the by either the states, the provinces or the federal governments. That, that's right. And there's a, an expert I was talking to, and I'm, I'm sad that their name escapes me, but was saying that a lot of Toronto's budget problems, you know, we, we talk about, is this a revenue problem or is this a spending problem? And a, a lot, a shockingly high number of Toronto's budget problems are a, a mismatch between our authority and our uh, responsibility. We are, we are uh, m- made to spend money as a city mm-hmm. on all kinds of things that, that the city doesn't have any control over the decision. And we have to figure out how to pay for them. And certainly uh, immigration and refugee policy is among those things where sort of we, we don't have any control over the numbers at all. Um, and we don't have any control over, as you say, the timing or, or the where, the when, the who, the how. Uh, you know, federal policy means that we, that these people arrive. And then we have to figure out how to accommodate them. And we don't get any dollars or direction in how to do that either. And th- there are a number of other items like that, especially the provincial government mandates a lot of services that the city needs to provide. The city has no choice in that. Um, and yet then the city needs to find a way to pay those bills. But it's, it's become an acute crisis in housing across the board. We see also with, you know, international students and whatnot, yeah. all, all kinds of things where that's the problem. But but I think, uh, you know, our mayor-elect, Olivia Chow, w- was really pointing out, as, as you know, uh, people who are not necessarily ideologically aligned with her, Brad Bradford, for example, was, was really hammering this point on the campaign trail, um, because, because it is something that you just can't look away from. And as she's been sitting in meetings uh, with the transition team on housing, this this becomes a flashing red beacon that says, 
we need the federal government to address this. And while it, it seemed like a little bit of a, you know, yeah. what Brian Burke would have said a truculent approach yesterday. Um, you have to hope that, that, you know, with a new mayor and all of that, that maybe the Trudeau government is, would, would be open <laughs> Uh, to trying to make peace here and be able to declare a victory. And and we should want, um, you know, success for immigrants. People might say, oh, come on, they'll one of them will come in and, and they'll take my job. Well, somebody born here could take your job. We're all we're all there's Brian Burke. We're all vulnerable. We're all vulnerable. Somebody wants to be the league's president and GM. Somebody wants to be Ed Keenan. Somebody wants to be Olivia Chow the next time around. And we just saw a bunch of people that did. So the one thing I, I know they've talked about this in Europe, Ed, is like even a city like London, a lot of complications with immigration there. And there's some push. And I don't think it's either right or left ideal ideologically to say, shouldn't the cities have some idea about primary selection that that someone can't just turn up at the border? Um, you would need an entry visa and then we'll direct you to where your skills are. Like we've got we got people with law degrees driving cabs. And yet at the same time, we have people with minimal education at all. And we're not setting them up for success either. We should want success for these people. So they pay for themselves and we don't. It's that simple. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that, that wanting uh, people to be successfully integrated, whether they're skilled immigrants coming here on uh, the premise that we need skilled immigrants, that we're advertising for them, that we're, uh, we're, we're paving the pathway for them. And, you know, nobody wins if, if they wind up disappointed and frustrated. As you yeah. say, you know, a medical doctor or something wind up working as a night security guard, which is one case to where I knew, or, or many of them driving Ubers and whatnot, or whether it's refugees who, who we accept on humanitarian grounds, um, in both cases, I think everybody has an interest in people being successfully integrated and thriving in this country. I think a reason a lot of us, this country was built on immigration, built in large part on our refugee system as well. And in both cases, it's sort of allowing people to to be big contributors to this society, not just that they find a better life here, but that we become a better country by absorbing them and integrating them and making them them really useful parts of it. And what what happens when when you don't successfully integrate people, when you create these frustrations where there's people arrive and there's no housing for them, no appropriate job in the place where they land and, and whatnot, is that you're creating a recipe for not for those people to feel resentful, but also for uh, the, those who are already here to start to feel resentful when, you know, they're overcrowding our shelter system, potentially driving up the cost of housing and whatnot. It's not just the traditional jobs complaint that you said. It's that, is that right now there's, there's no housing at all. And so if more people are coming and competing for what affordable options there are, it, it creates this competition between uh, all of us that, that I worry could lead to a more poisonous kind of attitude towards the whole endeavor. And that's just not traditionally the Canadian way. No, and, and can't have it. It benefits, it benefits very few. I wouldn't say it benefits nobody, but it benefits very few uh, in the long term. Ed, I'm going to leave it there. Thanks so much. Have a great couple weeks off. Phenomenal election coverage. And, and thanks for always making time for Toronto today. We appreciate it.
Well, Greg, thanks for talking to me this morning. It's always a good way to start the day. You bet. Thanks so much. I appreciate that also. Uh, Ed Keenan joining us from the Toronto Star. Read his latest work there at thestar.com. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Are you in or out? Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. So are we in or out? You're out. You are over and out. No, 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 no. Insulted him a little bit. I'm okay with it, but now you're making me feel weird about it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> so they asked this on Good Morning Britain a couple mornings ago. Do female proposals emasculate men? <sighs> Easy. I mean, waterfall trips do. But um, do female proposals emasculate men? And there was a guest on there who got quite a backlash, Sheba. She posted... I'm proposing to my boyfriend. And some people congratulated her because that's the appropriate thing to do. And some people acted like jerks and basically said <laughs> that that guy, he'll never be the same again. Everybody tells their proposal oh, story. On, Everybody tells extreme. their engagements. No, no, because I, I, I have no problem with this whatsoever. But do you think do you think women have a problem with other women doing it the same way men have a problem with women doing it? Oh, it might be 50-50. So okay, so the art in and out is on women proposing to women. Two men, right? right? This is a this is heterosexual relationship. So, women proposing two men. Are you in or out? Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. You have no issue with it, so you're in on that. Um, but it but it would have derailed my plans had I like I that would have been a train I didn't see coming. It? What if two months? That's what before, I'm saying. Yeah. So what if I'm out? I'm out on women proposing. Yes, I know. Somebody called me, you know, a, a feminist. I, too many women <laughs> studies. An hour ago, someone texted and told me I've had taken one too many women studies classes. But I'm out on women proposing. I just think, uh, I don't know, there's something very romantic and sweet and traditional about a man getting down on one knee in whatever context. doesn't matter, you know, oh. the ring, whatever it is. I just think that's very traditional and sweet. I proposed a year, um, a year about 14 months after my initial um, uh, arthroscopic knee surgery. And I got down on one knee, Gord, but then <laughs> I had a lot of trouble there. getting back. I had to like put <laughs> both my hands down to get back up again. No kidding. I was only 31. What about you? Women proposing to men. I'd be in on it. And what are they proposing? Yeah. What do they want, really? Yeah. But I mean, see, I can understand <laughs> the backlash because it goes against the, the whole fairy tale of the wedding. Like in most traditional marriages, women have this all planned out, right? This is the proposal and the dress and stuff. And, you know, women have a, a wedding dress that they keep. Men rent a tux. It just, those are the or two. buy a suit. Right they could buy I a suit and wear it different places. Dress. They yeah, go grocery shopping in their suit later on in the afternoon yeah, but to, it's, it's, to maintain their brand. It's not part of the fairy tale that the woman proposes and everything's all different, but it, it works for some. I, okay. 416-870-6400. Men... Um, being proposed to by women. I'm okay with it. I wish it was more than 1%, but I feel the backlash often comes from other women who say, now you're putting the heat on us because I want to I want to sit back. Now, remember, if the courtship period lasts too long, you start getting signals anyway. Oh, yeah. You really do. Yeah. Like, signals are okay to send to your partner. That's what, you're, that's what they're there for. And some people yeah. just need a good shot in the arm. It's like, will you just do it already? No, that's a whole other conversation <laughs> we need to have. That's when you need to run. Oh, my yeah, goodness. you run as far oh. as you can. If you have a gun to his head that you need to propose to me, you're with the wrong guy. Um, yeah, like like signals, you know, like reverse psychology and no, you're out. Break and, up with him uh, and abusive psychological tactics and waving your arms around, gesticulating like, <laughs> please do this soon. That kind of stuff. But we got some great texts in. So our in and out for today was: Are you in or out on a woman proposing to her boyfriend? Mm -hmm. uh, here's what we got. 
I'm in. If it emasculates you, you weren't truly masculine to begin with. You had low self-esteem. Right on. Hmm. Right on. Here's another one. Does it create soft men? Soft as in quotations. <laughs> Let, <laughs> let's keep encouraging young men to be strong, upstanding men. So I feel like somebody there is alluding to the fact that it may, it, it, all, it will emasculate a man. Uh, and, la- and here's another one I like. My mom proposed to my dad back in 1970. He said yes, and there are no issues. That's amazing. A 70s female to male proposal. Wow. And, I, and if that's true, time. they've been married, you know, close to 50, 50 plus years by now. So you're telling me if your wife had proposed to you mm, six months before you did, let's say three months before you did, uh, you'd be fine with it. It would have it jarred me. It would have altered my plans. But I say yes and just assume that's how it's going to go. And then you have a really unique story. Well, here are a couple of questions that people ask that are, that are good points. If a woman is proposing to a man, does she need to go to his mother or his father <laughs> for the blessing? <laughs> Uh, and then also, does she pull out an engagement ring and put it on his finger? See, I think I think at that point it had, and I I'll use myself an example. My wife goes to my parents and says, "I'm thinking about marrying your son." They would have been either like, <laughs> "What a relief," or "How long do you really expect to be happy making this decision?" It'd be one of the two. It might even be both. Both would be those particular questions. At a certain point in time. These are good questions. I just I just don't see a man They're, wanting uh, the engagement ring, her on one. Uh, yeah, know, you, you can't. You re- the the man can't really flash it around and be like, well, what that 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 little rock on my finger there. Oh, what's the I didn't even know I was wearing it today. <laughs> well, not a big deal. Here's a, here's a great test. My mom proposed to my dad with a Rolex. There we go. Imagine you're oh. getting a Rolex for your engagement. But I think they've got the name wrong. Then they don't call it um, Sadie Hawkins. Was it Sandy Hawkins? No, it was, you're right. Sadie Hawkins. It's supposed to be Sadie Hawkins, right? Yeah. Yes. We had a Sadie Hawkins dance at Medway High School, and it's like mortifying because it's, it's, it's girls are supposed to ask boys to the dance as a date. Oh, I think that's fun. I did get one eventually, but I was, I was one of the late round picks. I, was, I felt like a fourth round pick in the uh, NFL draft. <laughs> I don't get to wear the fan. I don't get the Grady Dick suit. No. Nope. Didn't have the TikTok videos. <laughs> Let's see if he can play. Let's see what he does for the Raptors before we get so excited. 